I've asked Andy and I've asked uh, Brandon to pass out a little handout for you. If you don't want one, just don't take it. If you want one, then take it. That's fine. Yeah. Or you can take it and throw it in the trash if you don't think it's helpful. So um, while we're doing that, let's talk about uh, together um, some, some prayer concerns. Uh, some of you may have heard that Chris Heaton lost his, his uh, was it grandmother or mother? Mother, Miss Lula. So pray for Chris and their family. Uh, the funeral service for Miss um, Evelyn Grubbs will be here Friday. So I got a chance to meet Harold, her son, the other night and other day afternoon. So um, so remember to pray for them. That'll be and that'll be here at the church on this Friday. Uh, and then David, oh, and then uh, continue to pray for, uh, I, know you, I know you are, I know that you're praying for uh, Miss Karen, um, Bryant, and Miss Julie, and uh, Debbie White, keep her in your prayers. She had a second heart cath last night. She had the first one, got home, was doing well, had some problems, went back, and so they did another uh, stint, I think, on her last night. So Don was up there with her, and I was trying to check on some others. So we're tag teaming here. Um, so remember her. Uh, Lisa Manning, I think, is still healing, coming around. So, all right. Um, what else? And then there's some others that are absolutely oh, listed there. Um, Of course, Morris's and Carolyn, uh, daughter. Is it Melanie or Melody? I always get that mixed up. Melanie. So she's she's having some pretty serious health issues. We're very serious. So remember to pray for her. And I know that uh, you all have some concerns as well. Um, so let's uh, let's pray together. Hey, before we pray, just kind of share a couple things. So we've got. On the back, this is there are some announcements, and um, we're going to do our we do a baptism this Sunday morning. So there'll be some uh, Jason Hogue's going to be baptizing a few of his kids this Sunday. So we rejoice in that. Um, and then this Sunday uh, made a little bit of a change in child dedications. So we're going to do the first couple. Going to do it more on an individual basis than instead of doing it as a big group. So um, that's, that's the way I'm accustomed to doing it. So um, I'm going to go ahead and change it. So uh, when I'm dead and gone someday, if somebody wants to change it back, they're welcome to change it back. But, uh, so, uh, but uh, we'll do that this Sunday. I'm looking forward to that. As Amanda and Caleb Chandler are going to be dedicating James, and then uh, Alex and Peyton Bryant will be uh, dedicating Annie Joe. So uh, look forward to that. Um, and then some things coming up in March. We've got those listed there. Um, and uh, yeah. So let's take a few minutes. I'm going to ask that you just take a couple minutes. If you want to pray with the person next to you softly, or if you just want to pray silently, why don't you take a minute and pray? Pray through this, or just however the Holy Spirit leads you to pray. And then I'll close this, and then we're going we're gonna, to uh, look at some things tonight from Scripture. So. Let's pray.
God, we thank you tonight to be able to physically attend, be a part of this time, and, and certainly, Lord, a time of corporate prayer as we pray uh, for the Bryants, that you would bring strength and encouragement to them. And the same thing for the Morrises, Jed and Julie, we lift them to you, Lord. We, we, we know, Lord, that all things are possible, that you, you're a great healer. It doesn't look like that's the way that you're at work in them to right now. Then, but God, we, we still pray for that. We still pray for healing and we pray for grace and strong faith as they go through what they're dealing with. We pray for uh, the Grubbs family as they gather here um, and, and to remember and to give thanks for Miss Evelyn and her life. Um, and so we, we just pray in advance for that service that the gospel would be shared in, with clarity. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for watching over Miss Debbie. We ask that you continue to protect her and, and just uh, restore her fully. For Lisa Manning, continue to bring healing. Um, for those who are going through chemotherapy and radiation of our church family, Lord, would you help them? Help Miss Melanie. Lord, be with the, the heat and family and the loss of uh, Chris's mom. And uh, so we, we just pray for them, that they would grieve with certain hope, um, that you would encourage them through the gospel. We're, we're just really thankful that there's an answer to sin and suffering and death. And God, you've defeated all of that in Christ. And so we are a, a people who have great hope and great confidence in the midst of all, uh, all trouble and trial and suffering. We, we thank you to have this time. Uh, we, we pray you'd guide us um, and that you'd sharpen us uh, to be good disciples, faithful disciples. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a handout, I'm going to try to address this topic tonight of how to study the Bible how to study the Bible. I, I read a story about a young man. He was converted. He was about eight or nine years old and he was in church and the following Sunday sitting in church, this little guy he was there by himself, no family, just uh, uh, where a little in a city where he grew up. And so he went to church and, and someone announced that they opened their Bible to a certain book, something 512, and so he turned to page 512, 512 and in his Bible, and he wasn't there, and, and uh, he didn't even know how to find a, a, a book of the Bible, didn't know the difference between the Old Testament, the New Testament, didn't know anything about Bible references, and that young man was, uh, was uh, Dr. Moody, who formed Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. He grew up and uh, became a great student of scripture, but started out knowing, knowing very little, nothing, in fact. So let's, uh, let's, my hope is to um, just help all of us uh, as we study scripture. Some of this will be very familiar to you. There might be something that, uh, that encourages you or uh, gives you a little insight. But as we start, I, uh, um, I'm, I'm not going to be talking about studying the Bible in order to teach the Bible. They're related, but uh, so certain some of the same things you go when you study are some of the same things you go through when you teach. But I, I want to make sure that all of you, whatever Sunday school class that you're in, that you that you are intentional about encouraging your teacher, whether. Uh, it would be good for students to do that, parents that have, you have little boys or girls or grandkids in Sunday school classes here where they, somebody in this church is teaching those kids and teaching our students and teaching adults. And so be sure to encourage them. Uh, they, they study and prepare uh, each week to do that. And I just think sometimes we take, take them for granted. And uh, so uh, my, hat's, my hat is off to those who, who teach and minister the word. So a couple of verses there. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So if you know it, say it with me. All scripture is inspired by God 
and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and for training the person of God, the man and woman of God in righteousness, that you might be thoroughly furnished or thoroughly equipped unto every good work. So that all of God's word is inspired and is profitable. There is benefit from the scripture, doctrine, reproof, correction, training. So um, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joint and moral, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart, right? So the word of God will reveal to us even our own thoughts, make us aware of our thoughts. Uh, Philippians 2, let this mind, this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ. So your thought life. And so the scriptures makes us aware when we're not thinking the way we, God wants us to think. And God will speak and work through his word to make me aware that my attitude is not the way that it needs to be towards myself, towards other people, might be even towards God. Um, and then the last one, 2 Timothy 2.15. Say it with me. Study to show yourself what? Approved. What's the opposite of, of approved? Disapproved. disapproved. Right? You don't want to be disapproved by God. Study to show yourself approved before God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, but rightly divides or cuts the word of God. You remember that, that cut, that division, rightly divides the word of truth? That refers to a seamstress who had a pattern and they cut straight in order for the pattern for things to fit together. And so we want to study so that we have a right understanding of God and his word. So some good scriptures. So what's the definition of study? What does it mean to study? What, what comes to mind? When you think about study, how many of you like to study? Raise your hand. A couple. How many of you, to be honest, how many of you really don't like to study? Okay, I'm being honest. There's probably more of us that don't like to study than study. What did you start to say, Roy? Did you start to say something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you guys heard my story the same way. Going through school, I, I did not like to read. Um, and I figured out a way to get through school without reading. You know, if you had a big book in the English class, you're supposed to read it. I learned how to navigate that. I would read uh, the overview of the book. This was before there were crib notes. What are those, you know, before that stuff you could use to cheat? And I would read the intro, the kind of the cover, and I'd go through and look at the index, kind of what it was about. And then I would read the first chapter, most of the first chapter, and read kind of the end of the chapter, get the introduction, the summary. And then I would go through each individual chapter and read the first couple paragraphs and the end of the paragraph, because the end of the paragraph will summarize the whole chapter. And I learned to do that so I didn't have to read. I should have read the whole book, Steve said, if you're going to do that. But just wasn't a reader. I'm saying probably I didn't want to be still. I'd rather be doing something with my hands, moving, doing something to sit still and to read. Roy, did you start to say something? Yeah. Yeah. Still, you got to read, you got to be still, you got to sit down. And I, I think some people, let's be honest, I think some people are wired a little different. Some uh, read, and that's a good learning style. They learn well from reading. I was more of an auditory person. I learned, I learned better through hearing things. Um, and so when I read, you know, I, have to, I do a better, after I read, I have to write things down to reinforce what I'm reading. It's not my primary learning style. But I think people are different that way, don't you? 
Some have a, more of a mind. They're more so. We're, God makes all of us the same way. But study actually means it is devoting time and attention to acquiring knowledge. So when we talk about studying the Bible, uh, we're talking about devoting time and attention to to acquire knowledge. It's a study is also a detailed investigation. A detailed investigation, right? And that requires time and discipline in order to gain knowledge. So if you study a subject, you're wanting to know the subject. To get, and by the way, what is the main subject of the Bible? God. What is not the main subject of the Bible? Me. <laughs> Most of us, when we read and study the Bible, we have a bent, an inclination to read it and study and just look for what applies to me. And there's certain, certainly that does apply, right? But our main goal, first and foremost, before anything else, ought to be, what does this reveal to me about God? And so that's the idea of study. To be biblically literate. To be biblically literate. What does it mean to be illiterate? Illiterate. Can't read. You don't know. Um, and we talked about this last Wednesday night. It's possible to know the Bible, but not know the Bible. You can know the Bible. You can know verses. You can know some of the books of the Bible. Uh, you might even know a little bit about the Bible, some of the stories. But you can know and have some knowledge of the Bible, but not really know the Bible. And so there, it, we're demanded, commanded in Scripture to study, want to know God, know His Word. We, we discover his will. Uh, what does God expect from me? The only way I'm going to know what God expects from me is to know his word and to know him. And uh, so Romans 12, I beseech you, I beg you, brothers, do not be conformed to this world, but instead, verse 2, transformed, spiritual transformation, How? by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable perfect will of God. So this mind needs to be fed in order for it to be transformed. Colossians says, set your mind. That's a command. Set the setting of the mind. So it needs to be set. The mind will all, your mind, your thoughts will gravitate towards something. Uh, I wish mine didn't. <laughs> I wake up in the middle of the night and it's set on things and can't shut it off. Um, it, it, so we need to learn to set it. Set your things, Paul wrote to the Colossians, on things above, on heavenly things, on God, on what is true. Jesus said in John 13, if you know these things, what things? He was referring to his word, truth. If you know these things, he said in John 13, 17, happy you will be, blessed. Um, same word that we see in the Beatitudes. Happy are you, blessed are you. And so it is great to read the Bible, um, to keep our minds on God and his word uh, when we read it. To read it slowly and to read it thoroughly and to read it repeatedly. Some of you who teach the Bible, if you have a text, you're going to probably read it through many times. Um, I, it varies for me each week, but if I'm going to preach and read a text, I'm going to read it through and read it through and read, and, and read it a lot of times audibly so I get used to hearing it so that I can read it well. I don't, I don't want to publicly read scripture and butcher it and work on pronunciation and where the commas are and where the emphasis are. So we want to read the word, read it well, read it slowly, thoroughly. Um, and so it's good to read the Bible, but it's, it's different than studying the Bible. And I would commend reading the Bible, but I would commend more studying the Bible. How many of you, I'll be the first to you read through something in Leviticus, you don't have a clue what it's talking about, and you just read through it, and you got through it. But you don't even, I mean, you might remember what you read, but you don't, you don't have any clue what it means. 
There's a difference between reading and studying the Bible. All of us, who do you think that commands? 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul is writing to Timothy, certainly a pastoral epistle, study to show yourself approved. But the word disciple itself means to be a student. It's, it's a learner. And so all of us as disciples are to study the word. Spiritual growth depends upon feeding on God's word. I don't, I don't know how you can grow in Christ and mature in Christ without feeding on scripture. And there has to be something there. Would you turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2? Let's look at a couple of verses. 1 Peter 2, and I'm going to just turn over there with you, and I'm going to read it as soon as I get there. But if you have your Bible, we'll just do some Bible drill. 1 Peter chapter 2, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, look at verse 1. Therefore, lay aside all malice, lay aside all deceit, lay aside hypocrisy, lay aside envy, lay aside evil speaking, and verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you're a Christian, if you're saved by grace, then as a newborn babe. You all, you all just kind of form a mental picture tonight of an infant nursing, you know, nursing milk from that, uh, from the, the mom and how that there is a, a desire there, a thirst there, a hunger, part of it's God's design naturally, how that does and so He's saying to us as believers to, to thirst, to have a thirst for the word. Um, go with me to 1 Corinthians 3. So who is Paul writing to in Corinthians? Christians or non-Christians? Right, right, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says in verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and then he describes these Christians as being sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be with the saints, called uh, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So these saints, believers, Christians, those sanctified in Christ. But look what he says to about the same church, these same Christians in chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak, this is verse 1, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal. What does the word carnal mean? Good or bad? It's not good. <laughs> it means fleshly, sinful, right? I, I couldn't talk to you as mature spiritual people, but you're still fleshly, still worldly. I had to speak to you as babes in Christ. Verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with meat or solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. And verse 3 says you're still carnal. And to put it in your own words, you're still behaving the same way you used to behave before you came to Christ. So there's this, be this desire, this thirst for God's word, for truth, and these believers at Corinth um, had none of that. They'd not matured in the word. They were still acting like spiritual babies, right? Um, I think it would be pretty odd if you saw a teenager come into the worship area on Sunday morning with their parents, say a 15-year-old guy or girl, and the parents stuck a baby bottle in their mouth. I'd get your attention. It's kind of what Paul is saying about the church at Corinth. Still having to relate to you as a bunch of bunch of babies. Why? Because you've you've never learned to feed on solid food on on uh, on the word. And so, here's a question: 
Do you think that you can, a warning, do you think that you and I can lose a desire and a thirst for God and his word? Yeah. You remember the sower? Jesus tells a story about a sower who went out and sowed seed. And some of that seed, so the sower is one who sows. Seed is the word of God. He goes out and sows seed. And some of the seed, it falls on different types of ground. You remember? And some falls on pathway. And it just lay, the ground is hardened on the path. And so it doesn't ever take root. It just kind of blows away. And some falls on rocky soil. Kind of seeps in a little bit. Some on uh, thorny ground. But then it talks about the good soil. Jesus is teaching there, the real point of all of that teaching is it demonstrates the different way people respond to God's word. And one in four is good soil. Now, I don't know if that applies. I don't know if that means anything to that, but I think the lesson is, is there, there's certainly a lot of improper, faithless responses to God's word. The, the suffering, difficulties of life can choke out the word. Um, pleasures, cares of the world can choke it out. People spring up good, they start walking, then they just kind of fall away and lose that, that desire for God and his word. So there's a, a pretty good warning. Um, you've, got, you've, got, you've heard these verses, Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to, to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, it means to distress. Do not distress the Holy Spirit. Um, to make heavy, to be sorrowful. Um, the Holy Spirit, grieving the Spirit. Uh, don't quench the Spirit. Uh, to quench, to put out a fire. You think you and I can grieve the Spirit? Distress the Spirit, quench the Holy Spirit to a point that we lose sensitivity to His voice and spiritual desires wane. I certainly think so. So, and the thirst to die. So, kind of all that kind of intro, but let me state the obvious. You and I can know the Bible. Now, I would be the first to admit there's some sections and places in the Bible that are difficult and challenging. Most of the Bible, though, you, cannot, you and I can understand. Most 6th, 7th, 8th graders can understand the Bible. Now, again, certain, there are certainly some passages. Someone told me a long time ago, the Bible is not as hard to understand as it is to believe. Certainly found that to be true. So you don't have to go to Bible college to learn the Bible. You shouldn't have to go to the seminary to learn the Bible. Thank God for those who have the opportunity to do. Uh, and by the way, a little, little sidebar, um, guys should never go to seminary or Bible college and to get degrees to exalt themselves. If you ever get that luxury and you're afforded that opportunity, it ought to be very humbling. And so if I go to pursue a, a doctorate, a D-min, an EDD, PhD, because I want to be called Dr. Charlie and have credentials, it almost it means you, you're really pretty ignorant of, of what, how God even is wanting to use you, right? Isn't that true? Guys who want to exalt them? Anyways, that's a little sidebar. So you can know the Bible. Uh, John 14, 26, and I want to get down to some practical things, not that the scripture is impractical, but John 14, 26, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, you remember John 14, let not your hearts be troubled, you believe in God, believe also me, and he goes on, and then he, in that same chapter he says, I'm going away, and when I go away and leave you, I'm not going to leave you orphans, but my, my replacement will come, the paraclete, and when he comes, John 14, 26 says, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you or teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. So one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to teach us. So the Lord Jesus Christ indwells these temples, these bodies, these vessels through the Spirit, and one of the roles of the Spirit is to teach and to work through our memory. 
to stir up the memory. John 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said again about the Spirit. He, the Spirit of truth, will not only teach you, but will guide you into all truth. Well, he's not going to bring back something to your memory that was never there to begin with, and he's not going to guide you into all truth if you don't know any truth. And 1 John 2.20, John writes, You have no need to be taught, for you have an anointing from the Holy One. Now, that's not to say that, he's not literally saying that we don't need to be taught anything. He's saying there's an anointing from the Holy One, from the Holy Spirit, who teaches so the greatest teacher we have is not me, it's not John MacArthur, it's not John Piper, it's not Vody Bauckham, it's not the best teacher we have, according to Jesus, is the Holy Spirit. And how quick we are to neglect him and to run to books and commentaries and YouTube videos to see what this guy says and what that person says, and we don't listen to the Holy Spirit at all. I, I mean, I mean that seriously. Thank God for videos and commentaries and support materials, but those those are those are not to be. Um, primary, our primary source ought to be the Bible itself, reading, studying, depending on the Holy Spirit, and all this stuff, other stuff is to be a supplement. It, it was never intended to be the main diet. And I'll, I'll talk more about why that's dangerous. Um, I got a few things. A study will make you a strong Christian. Scriptures, studying Scripture will produce assurance in you. Um, confidence in prayer, 1 John 5, assurance, 1 John 5, 13. Uh, scripture will spiritually cleanse you. Washing of the water of the word, the word cleanses, the word sanctifies. Um, the word of God, Jesus said, these things, that I've, these things I have spoken to you, my word will bring you joy. John 16, in this world you will have trouble but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, and these things that I've spoken to you will give you peace, and so joy and peace, confidence, assurance. Psalm 119, your word, we teach this, pledge allegiance to the Bible, your word I have hid in my heart, right, that I might not sin against God, but it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the word of God will guide us, direct us. Um, the word of God will bring forth success. Psalm 1, blessed is a man, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the scene of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates both day and night and shall be like a tree planted by the living waters and will bring forth fruit in its season. That's success. That's blessing. Spiritual blessing from meditating on the word. So some costs. So let me shift into some costs of study. If you study scripture, it's going to require some work. It's going to require some work. You're going to have to get still, as Roy said, sit down and study and think. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to think and and you're going to have to organize your thoughts. And you may have to write to clarify your thoughts. That's part of study. So it requires work. It's going to require time. Uh, I mean, to study, it, it's going to take some time. I always tell teachers, if you teach, you're, when you actually get up and teach or preach, that presentation is your offering to the Lord. What makes the offering acceptable to God is the time, the sacrifice of the time that you set apart to be with him. That's what makes the offering acceptable to the Lord. I've said this before. I think sometimes if you're in a Sunday school class and the teacher is dilly-dallying around till 10 o'clock, 
You know what that means? They don't have anything to say. That's why they waste time. Some of it's because they're waiting for people to get there. Uh, but the only way to fix that is start on time and just, just stay with it. And hopefully they'll learn to be more on time. But most of the time, if a teacher doesn't teach and take advantage of the teaching time, they don't have anything to say. Why don't they have anything to say? Because they've not sacrificed any of their time to prepare with the Lord, and then they shouldn't accept that that teaching, that offering, is going to be acceptable to God. It requires work. It requires time. It requires discipline. You remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4 to Timothy? Preach the word what? In season and out of season. What does that mean? Timothy preached the word, could be teach the word, study, in season and out of season. You know what that means? When you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. You know? How many of you who teach, um, there's some weeks you don't want to do it? <laughs> I mean, I, there's some weeks where it's a, it's a joy for me to, to spend time and study, and there's other weeks where I kind of put it off and I just I don't want to do it. Um, I was talking, I had lunch with Terry Couture this last week, and some, sometimes it's a grind. And then sometimes, you know, when you're studying, it'll just be like you're getting some good thoughts and ideas, and other times it's just like you're digging and mining, and you can't get anything out. So that's just a part of it. But it also requires good methodology. Some, some, uh, some things, you can learn to study the Bible more effectively, and you can develop that more and more. So... Um, let me talk about some tools for Bible study. You need a paper and pen. If I'm going to study, I'm going to get a pad, something to write with. Um, I may keep a notebook. I might use my computer. But I need my Bible if I'm going to study. And then I'm going to also have a study Bible. So when I, when I study, I will use this Bible. It's one I'm using right now, and I'll use it until it falls apart, and then I'll get another one. By the way, last time I bought Bibles, I bought four Bibles the same exact kind, the same way, because I, I get used to this Bible, and I know where chapters are on the page and where certain texts are on the side, on the pages, and you get familiar with your Bible, so when this one wears out, I got one that's just like it. So I bought four of them. Part of that was I got a deal at a conference, you know, those book displays, they sell them all, so I got them real cheap, so I bought four. So uh, you need some pen and paper. You need your Bible. I, will, I have an ESV study Bible. And uh, you can get all this out of commentaries, but that stu those study Bibles are just really concise, very brief. Because uh, So I want to get a study Bible. I'll keep a concordance by, real close by. You know what a concordance is? A concordance. So concordance. So if there's a word, that word, uh, let's see, uh, propitiation. If you have a concordance, the word you can look it up, propiti propitiation, and then underneath that, it'll list every place in the Bible where that word is used. Why might that be helpful? Context. Okay, learning how it was used in different settings. So if you need a good concordance. Um, um, and or, or, or for example, let's say if you're doing a character Bible study, you're studying about a certain, say you're going to do a study on the life of David, you might Look up David and then find out every place where he's mentioned in the Bible. Everything the Bible says about King David or boy David or whatever, where it was. Concordance will help you to know where all those are. And then a, then a good dictionary in order to understand words. So those will be some of the basic tools. Again, uh, I would want... Um, when you, when you first start to study, you don't want to go directly to a commentator or a commentator, a commentary or to a video because you want to give, spend time with God, you and the Holy Spirit to speak to you first, right? Not what, the, what God gave to the commentator some, or what some else. You, you want to get along because who's your best teacher? Who's the best teacher we have? The Holy Spirit. So let's not shortchange the Holy Spirit when we're studying and read 
commentaries or watch videos first. Those are always to be supplemental as a support. Uh, and so, so let me talk about different Bible studies. Um, um, you can study a topic. You could do a Bible study on a topic. What would be a topic of the Bible that you might want to be do a study on? Prayer. That yeah. There's a there's there's a current Bible series on prayer right now. So that's a topical study. So you can go through, and and I don't I can't even imagine trying to do an exhaustive full Bible study on prayer. I, I, but. You can study different places, different things. That's a topical study. Um, topical studies can be fine. You can do a study on marriage, study on family, um, certain topic, study on finance. What does the Bible say about finances? Um, you can do a study on a word, a word study or a phrase. I mentioned it one ago, the word propitiation. Um, if you wanted to study salvation, what does the Bible really teach about my salvation? Well, you can do a word study. Justification, sanctification, glorification, redemption. All of those words refer to the same thing, but they add different little insights. Okay, so you can do a word study or a study of a phrase. You could study a book of the Bible. So I think in the three years I've been here, I think I've preached through five or six, four or five, I don't know, books of the Bible. I know we've gone through Esther, and I've done Colossians, I've done Ephesians. Um, I don't know what else off the top of my head. But, uh, did Ruth? Yeah, her daughter memorized the book of Ruth. Pretty, pretty amazing. It's Bella, right? So uh, you can do a book study. Um, you can study a certain doctrine. What might be a doctrine you might want to study? A doctrine. Maybe the doctrine of God. Go through and study uh, what does the Bible say about God, his attributes, his nature. Uh, that'd be a, an example of a doctrinal study or a doctrinal study of sin, a doctr doctrinal study on the Holy Spirit, on, um, on the church, ecclesiology, uh, I, I, you know, doctrinal studies, different things. And uh, something I've always done is studying certain characters. Uh, men's men group on Thursday morning, we did a we did a Bible study um, back some time ago of, of Samson, talking about a, a pretty interesting study studying on Samson. You want to know how to live for God? Study Samson and do everything that Samson, everything that Samson's did. You do the opposite, and you'll be okay. Guy was horrible, just horrible. Right? So just do the very opposite. Yeah, don't, I've got that back. Don't do what Samson did. Do the opposite. So let me, and so let's get in this last few minutes to talk really about some, some, of, the, some of the application to this. Um, three laws, three rules, laws, however you want to refer to them, of Bible study. So if you want to write the, I think I'm in your notes. Interpretation clarification, and application. If you're going to do a study, those are the three laws. Interpretation, clarification, and application. So let's talk about interpreting. It's the first part of study. And so that's kind of the history. It's the background. You'll notice what, if I preach, I'm going to give the background to the text. If you don't get that right, you can completely misinterpret a text. Um, so the background, that's the, that's the interpretation, that's the history. So who wrote this? Who wrote it? Who was the writer? What do we know about the writer? So who wrote it? What do we know about the writer? Uh, who was he writing it to? Who was the audience? Who were the recipients? What was going on with them? Why did he write it to them? So here's the author. He's the one who wrote it. What do we know about him? This is who he wrote it to. This is what was going on with them. And so why did he write it? Well, authorial intent. 
What was the intent of the author? What was Paul trying to say when he wrote this letter? What was the intention? So you're trying to recover that. Not what you think he's saying. What did he say? What was the intent? And then is there a main idea? Is a main message? So that's all a part of the first part of study. Individual study, certainly if you're going to teach, those, that's a law, that's a rule. Okay, let's reset, Paul. So think about James, he just did that Sunday. James is a writer. Who is James? James the judge. One of Jesus' disciples, half-brother of Jesus. Grew up with him. We know how he got converted. He didn't used to believe Saw Jesus in, during the resurrection appearance, evidently transformed. Later he becomes a leader of the Jerusalem church, martyred for his faith, writes the letter. That's James. Who is he writing to? Jewish believers who had come to faith in Christ, and they were suffering, and they were being dispersed, and they were having a hard time. A difficult time. And so he's writing to encourage them, to help them to stay focused. Um, do, you, do you think young, especially young Christians, immature Christians, do you think it's some of them are prone when they're having a tough time to throw in the towel? You know, I've tried living for God and I just can't do it. I just, I go to church and I just don't seem like I fit in there. It just doesn't work for me. I'm still having trouble. Right? I'm getting in some application, but but th that's all a part. What was the main message? Kind of a, kind of one of the themes in the book of James is faith, right? Chapter two, don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a a doer. Faith. So that those are that's all interpretive work. That's the work that you do right on the front end. Um, you so um, is there a, a main theme of the letter? Sometimes you also need to see what did what did he write right before this and what did he write after it. Sometimes that can add some insights into the text. Most of the most of us when we study the Bible, we're going to be studying. Uh, it's probably going to be a section of the text, a certain as we work through something. But does it make some questions about that? Interpretation. It's the history. It's the background. What are we saying? Uh huh. Bite size, you know that 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 old adage. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you work through a book of the Bible? One bite at a time. And you important point, and that's not just that's just not a little side thing. To when you sit down to study, get still and pray. And ask the Holy Spirit is with you. You never have to invite His presence. What you may have to do is pray and say, "Help me to recognize Your presence." And then ask that pray and ask God's Spirit to guide you, to teach you, to, to you know, and uh, to 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 make sense of it. Remember in the Old Testament when Ezra went back and he was reading the Word of God, and then it said, and they gave the sense after they read it. They gave they provided the understanding. They gave the sense of it. So asking asking the Lord God, help me to understand this. I don't, I don't get this. You know, I don't. So that's the first part. That's the first rule. That's the, all the interpretation. Then the clarification. So what is the clarification? So that's where, back to the interpretation, that's where a good study Bible provides all of that. It's very concise. A good study Bible will say, this is who wrote it. This was the author. This is when he wrote it. This is who's he writing to. This is what they were going through. This is the main idea. So, I mean, you know, you don't have to dig a lot to get that. <laughs> It's right there, you know, and if you didn't have that, you'd have to go to a commentary and dig through it, dig through it, dig. But those study Bibles are really pretty amazing, uh, really, really great tool. 
Then clarification, okay? So that's where I understand all the background, understand this, now I've got this text, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, now I'm gonna dig into the text and I'm gonna read it and 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 read it. You, you get what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm gonna read it. Um, repetition, read through it. And if there's something I don't understand, I might get another translation and read it in a different translation. Right? You know, so you, you've been that way? You read something, you think, well, I don't, I don't, what is it? It seems odd. What is he saying here? I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, if it doesn't make sense to you, if, especially if you're teaching, and if, and if nobody has read their lesson before they got there and the first time it's read, they're not going to understand it either. Not likely. <laughs> right? It, it actually wouldn't hurt in teaching time in your class to read it. I mean, it wouldn't hurt to read it more than once. I thought about doing that on Sunday mornings, but I, I'm always pressed for time. So uh, read it. And, and as you're reading it, you're gaining understanding. You're becoming familiar with it. Um, uh, uh, read another translation to help clarify it. And then after I read it, um, I will start writing, putting it in my own words. That's what I do, put it in my own words. What is James saying? James 5, 14, if any of you are going through times of trouble, if any of you are suffering, let them pray. So write that in my own word. Well, when people are having a hard time, God says they need to pray. That's the idea. Same thing. Just So you're starting to write it, put it in your own thoughts where you can memorize. And so uh, Sunday there were five verses, 13 through 18. So did I write five, six, six verses? Uh, go through that. And then I've got all my thoughts there. And then I start looking at those thoughts and say, is there any sense to these thoughts? How does, how does this verse make sense with this verse? What's the, what's the sense of it? And you know what I saw? What I saw last week in studying, I saw S words. S words, words that started with an S. Uh huh. He says, if you're suffering, if you're singing, if you're sick, if you're in sin, right? Confess your. So I noticed those S words. So that's how I came up with these seasons. I mean, that's pretty encompassing. You're going to go through suffering. You're still going to face sin. You're going to get sick. And what's the other one? And singing. So that was kind of how the... But God will give that to you. The text, the text provides it. I told people before, I don't... I don't the topical type preaching or narrative type preaching where you, where you don't preach, pre have you ever heard somebody preach a sermon where they'll read the text and then never even refer to it again? They come up three or four points that have nothing to do with what they read? I'm not that smart. I can't come up with that stuff. It's, it's right there. If you just spend time, it'll, it'll, God will bring it forth. It's from the text. I have nothing else to say than this. I really don't. It, you, can you imagine trying to teach a Sunday school les lesson every week and you don't have the, I mean, you don't take it from the text? What do you, what do you, how do you come up with that? Well, you got to read a book, come up with a new illustration or a new story, right? And those are all, they all have their place. But that old style, and by the way, almost all old preaching was that way. And I could give you examples and you would know what I was talking about. You Right? They'll read the text, our text this morning is this, and then they'll preach a sermon, then they close it. They never refer, even ever refer back to it. <laughs> you, you don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that, all right? You want, to, you want to let it speak. Let it come from the text. So that's part of the clarification process. Uh, the other thing is people can see it. Okay, this verse says it. Go back with me to verse this. So what does it say, Right? God promised that his, he, would, he would work through his word. He promised it'll never return void. Uh, people, will, people, will, people will remember, what does the Holy Spirit say? I'll bring it back to your remembrance. 
God doesn't have to honor stories. He doesn't have to honor illustrations, jokes, he don't, poems. You don't have to honor any of that. He has to honor his word. So stay, stay with the word. Let it, let it speak. That's part of the clarification process. And uh, Look what you're clarifying. Look for key words. Look for key words in there, key phrases. Um, um, the word cheerful in James 5, verse, I think it was 15, 14, 15. If any of you are cheer, cheerful, let them sing songs. That word cheer, cheerful went back to that. That was a command, and it, it, it uh, we did a little study on that word, um, what, what that had to refer to, um, where it was used in the Bible. Paul actually, remember in Acts, I mentioned Acts 27, when they were about to be shipwrecked, they were going to go down, the ship was going down. Men, of, be, be cheerful. <laughs> be of good cheer. You're not going to die. I don't know how well that might have been received when he was saying that, but he had, he had faith, and he was calling, calling them to have confidence in the Lord. So look for key words, and then just kind of organize your thoughts. What are your thoughts? Come up with some kind of an outline or a way to, to teach through this. So interpretation, clarify it. Okay, so what does it actually mean? What is it saying? And then, the, and then come up with an idea in your head of what this means. And then from the application side, um, if you're studying or you're teaching, if I'm not teaching and I'm just studying for my own edification, for my own growth, that application would be first and foremost, what does this say or reveal about God? More than anything else, what does this reveal about God? About his faithfulness, about his presence, about his grace, about his wrath, about his judgment, about his knowledge, about God's wisdom. What does this say about God? That's the main thing. The more we know about him, the more we can be like him. Right? Romans 8, being conformed to the image of God's son. So my goal as a Christian is not to get to heaven. My goal as a Christian is not to get to heaven. That's my reward. My goal now is to be conformed to the image of of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, to, to be like Jesus. That's my goal. That's the transformation process. And so the application, what does this reveal about God? Second, God, what, what, what are you saying to me in this? What are you saying to me? Um... What might that be? Um, God, my James, right, says that God's word is like a mirror. You remember he talks about the, the wise person who looks into the mirror and sees a reflection of their face, and when they get out of the mirror, they remember what they saw. A foolish person sees the reflection, and when they get away, they forget it. God, what, is, what do I need to see about myself that I don't see, currently see? Some area of sin in my life, something I've done, something that I, I need to change. Any of you feel like you, you're hoping God will keep making some changes in you? <laughs> Both hands. Get them up there, right? Praise the Lord. I'm a... We're, we're all a work in progress. We need change. We need transformation. So God, what do I need to obey? What have I, what I, what have I, not, what have I lacked faith? I've not had enough faith in you to trust you to do what you tell me to do. So was it revealed about God? Was this revealed about me? What is, what is this revealed to me about other people around me? God, what do I need to understand more about Mindy? 
How, do, how can I serve her better? What, what do I need to, what, what does this reveal about the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ? God, where, where's my attitude wrong towards somebody? Or what is something that you're calling me to do in the body of Christ? God, me, other people, what are you calling me to do? Um, if you're if you're teaching, one of the one of the good things at the end of the lesson, just take a minute and ask them. And so, ask maybe your class, what is God what is God saying to you today? And and maybe a question is, what is God calling you to do? From this text, from our lesson today, what is something that you feel like God is calling you to do? Change, something that you feel like God's calling you to work on by his grace, you know, so that's the purpose of it, so we'll stop there.